Hi, my name is Ryan Broderick, and I recorded for uh, two minutes without realizing that I was recording directly into my computer's microphone. Now I'm on a real microphone. The only things that you guys have missed is that I learned that it was Luke's birthday this week, and I did not know about that. Yeah, that that is correct. It's weird. I am aware that you must have a birthday, and yet I never remember or it. I never, I never, because you, you, you don't ever talk about it. Well, it's never been important to me. I've never cared about my, my birthday. It's like not a thing. I don't think about it. Then it happens. I'm like, oh, cool. And then I don't know. It carries on. I've never been a birthday did you, guy. Did you do anything cool for your birthday this year? Um, me and my. I was about to say girlfriend, but technically, uh, so I did. So, so I have a very good friend who uh, has a birthday on the three days before mine. Uh, and she always does a big like party thing for it. And she gets lots of people together and stuff. And I'm just like, oh, cool. I'll just go to that. That's kind of the same thing. I see. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I know. I, I went to that and it was great fun. Um, but yeah, we're, uh, me and my one of the things she brought up in this was that she kept calling my who I think of as my girlfriend or fiance, uh, my wife to be, which is oh. technically technically correct, but feels odd. Um, so yeah, we, me and my wife to be uh, are going to go to a nice restaurant at the weekend. Will it be weird when you are officially a wife guy? Will you still feel weird about that? No, I feel like I have very wife guy energy already. You definitely do. You yeah. absolutely have wife guy energy. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Content Minds. This week, we are talking about West Elm Caleb and that rat's nest. But before we get to that, hey Luke, how was the internet this week? I think the internet this week has been febrile. And I use that word because that is the word that's been used about an awful lot of things that are happening in the UK news right now, but also because it feels like everyone has a lot of energy. Everyone's a little bit angry, a little bit uh, uh, offended, a little bit offensive, a little bit uh, happy, uh, a little bit horny because, you know, it's the internet. But nothing's actually really happening. Like, the internet is is kind of not where things are happening right now. So it's just it's just febrile. It's, it feels like something's about to happen, but nothing's actually happening. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like, in America... We don't have like a central internet thing that really feels like it's holding this week together. And without that, uh, everything just feels very vague, I guess. That makes sense. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Hey, Luke, ask me how crypto was. How, how was crypto this week? Please, please, please don't buy an NFT. I'm glad you asked. It's my turn to answer. Crypto is in a weird spot. I feel like the NFT market is doing much better than it should. 
while the larger crypto market is doing less good than it should. And I can't understand how those two things can be true at the same time. I have noticed an awful lot of the lines going down, and I'm told it's better when the lines are going up. So yes, lines should go up, but they're not going up. But they are not going down on NFTs. It seems like what has happened is Ethereum's price going down has created NFTs prices to go up, which I think is inflation. Uh, I, I, I guess, I mean, I get, I mean, that implies that the, the, the NFT assets have a more, <laughs> the NFT assets have a less fungible value than Bitcoin or Ethereum itself. And I have heard they are non-fungible, so that they makes are, sense. They are non-fungible. That is correct. Uh, but that seems that seems com- that seems completely crazy to me because, like, it implies that you know, if inflation is happening in crypto, then <laughs> <laughs> the things that you buy have inherent value. Like, and obviously, when crashes happen, often due to inflation, uh, things maintain their inherent value. So, for example, if you need if you're in Weimar, Germany, and you need a wheelbarrow to get your your vast piles of cash home that you're paid every week because inflation is going so up up so much, then you still need a, 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 an increasingly vast amount of cash to buy the wheelbarrow. What this implies is the wheelbarrow retains its inherent value, while crypto is getting l- maybe it is that maybe it is just inflation. This feels. Ah. I think it's inflation. Well, but 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 the point no but the point is is that the wheelbarrow has an inherent value because you need to carry your vast piles of cash home from your job. The NFT doesn't. Like in in a in a in a cratering economy when inflation is going up, then very valuable things should become less valuable. Like inherently right. inherently valuable. Because no one has the spare money to buy the Mona Lisa when you need a wheelbarrow to get your paycheck home. In right. this circumstance, it seems like, no, no, the Mona Lisa maintains its value, and for some reason, everything else is subject to inflation. To me, it seems like a community of extremely in- inexperienced investors are just manually readjusting the crypto values to equal the previous values in dollars. That's what I think is happening. That, that sounds correct. That's, that, yeah, that sounds correct. Because ultimately... Crypto is about identity, not about anything actually having value. Yeah, I also don't think that almost anyone involved with NFTs is thinking about cryptocurrency as a currency. Like, they're just using it as a way to wash large sums of money to spend on JPEGs. So yeah. it's it, it would be as if uh, you suddenly had to do a different conversion rate to use, like, Venmo or a money transfer service. That's all. That's what I think is happening in the short term. I don't know if it'll always be like this. I don't know if we're leading to some sort of weird uh, economic thing that I don't understand. But for the moment, the JPEG marketplace is doing okay, while the larger marketplace is not doing okay. That sounds – I mean, that sounds wrong. It sounds wrong in many ways. But it, it, I, I think it does imply that the whole thing is a fake economy, which like, we know already. But it, it really strongly <laughs> evidences that, that people are not buying things because – they have value. They're buying things because they think they have value. So it's, it's super speculative, which again, we've always, all, always known, but this is yes. kind of proving it. Like if this was not the case, like, cause basically no one needs Bitcoin to buy bread. So there's not, no. uh, 
a lower end to the market. No one's like, oh my, well, except him possibly if you're living in El Salvador. Um, but right. Yeah. Although even then it's pretty complicated. Yeah, exactly. But, but if no one needs Bitcoin to buy bread, then you are, the value of anything doesn't matter. Like this, all this stuff is fictional. And because it's all fictional, it means that things that have theoretical value maintain that value in a way they wouldn't if there was a genuine economic crash because expensive things then have no value because no one can afford it. Right. The demand goes. It makes sense also when you think about the fact that like this current crypto dip or crash or whatever we want to call it is percentage-wise the exact same percentage of a drop that happened approximately uh, three business quarters ago. And if you think about the fact that the majority of the largest holders of Bitcoin are basically institutional level investors at the moment, if you're wondering, like, why is the market dropping the exact same amount every three quarters? It's like, <laughs> well, I can I can guess why that might be <laughs> like if, if I needed to make a bunch of money uh, for my earnings reports, I know exactly how I would do it. Yeah. Hey, yeah. So crypto is we still think not good. Is that the conclusion of this? Uh, yeah, I think not good. Uh, I think it's probably about as unstable as the British government, which is what I want to ask you about <laughs> next, because it seems like, are you guys oh going to get a new prime minister? Because I feel like it's you're due for a new prime minister. I, I mean, it's been, uh, what, almost, almost two, three, almost more than two years since our last prime minister. <laughs> That's so long for you guys. I'm really impressed that you've been able to hold a prime minister for that long. So, okay, let me let me tell me if I got this right. The conservative party, the majority party, yep. in the UK keeps being exposed for various lockdown parties they were throwing at the height of your COVID lockdown. Correct? Yeah, this is essentially it. So, I think there's two really important bits of context to this before I go into this. Number one is that uh number one is that the 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 lockdowns in the UK were were strong. Like obviously if you've listened to this podcast for a long time, you'll remember that when this started, uh I was allowed a I had a state mandated daily walk that wasn't allowed That's to take right. no longer than an hour. Uh but our lockdowns were tough. And there were three main lockdowns. There was lockdown one, which was when all of the incredibly petty but unpleasant personal cruelties happened or not all of them but many of them like you know it was it was that was when funerals were happening but the wife of the guy who died was not allowed to be comforted by her children it was that sort of stuff it was very very unpleasant like they all were but that one particularly was because we we knew less and that was very unpleasant we locked down two which was um early november to early december 2020 uh and that was more that was there was like a 60 percent lockdown like it wasn't great but it was sort of okay because the summer had been all right and like it had been generally quite low and it was fine but at the end of that the alpha variant came about and then we went into christmas christmas was cancelled for a lot of people and then we had a basically a six-month lockdown uh and about three months in it started to get looser and it got looser and looser and looser as we went through the summer at which point it was kind of gone uh, at which point we had the euros and we had a big spike in cases Ignoring that. And the Euros is uh, when, like, that fan put a flare in his butthole? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. I remember okay. that. All right. Uh, the second bit of really important context to this is that number 10 is a weird environment in that number 10 is both – it is literally a house. It is a home. It is where the prime minister and his wife and his now two children live. As a non-British person, walking past number 10 Downing Street 
is a very weird experience because it's like, it's basically just like a building on the street and there's like, there's like shit around it. It's just like there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's also kind of the center of British government. So a lot of things happen there, which meant a lot of the people working there did not work from home because they needed to be there because they were attempting to respond to COVID, which makes sense. That's fine. But it also means that the garden is both a personal garden for, for example, the prime minister's wife to go and have a stroll in at lunchtime and for a group of people to have meetings and about the COVID response. So there is a bit of complexity here that is like more than you might expect. So there is a garden. There is a garden. Yeah. I did not know this. Okay. I see. Yeah. No, it is, it is this one garden. Now the problem is, is that clearly there were some elements and I am, I am. I am weirdly probably like relatively relaxed on this. Like I think that the people running the COVID response, if they have like a glass of wine at their desks at half eight at night, having working for 12 hours, I'm kind of like relaxed about like, sure, fine. I know you're still working like fine. I I, I, I don't think it's right. I, I also get it. But equally, there were a lot of other cruelties happening and people being particularly, the police particularly were being very, very authoritarian and very strict. Now I'm going to go through the things that have since emerged okay so lockdown one on the may 15th on may 15th uh there was cheese and wine in the number 10 garden uh at least 20 people were in the garden having wine and cheese and hanging out they said it was a work event and it was a meeting five days later may 20th there was a bring your own bottle party or bring your own booze party depending on how what class you are uh an email was sent to more than 100 people inviting them Uh. to this party Still in lockdown here. Okay. Nineteenth of June, the prime minister had a birthday party in the cabinet room. So that's indoors, not in the garden. Um, it was attended by up to thirty people. It was organised by his wife, and uh, he was presented with a cake. Uh, he, the, the the chancellor Rishi Sunak, later walked in and was it said that it was said that he was ambushed with a cake, so he didn't know the cake was there, so it therefore didn't count. Uh, November the 13th, there was a party in the flat above Downing Street where the Prime Minister lived. November 25th, there were some uh, impromptu drinks for the Treasury where they, you know, they'd had a bigger speech, so they did some drinks. 27th, there was a leaving due for someone. Uh, another pre-Christmas drinks, there was a Defence Minister who left. They did some more drinks. December 10th, oh uh, there was a party in the Department of Education. There were at least 30 people there. There were drinks and canapes. Uh, 11th of December, oh, good. A, good. A, 11th of December, a wine fridge was delivered to number 10 because they have okay. regular. Okay. Okay. What the fuck? Like, honestly, like, there's, there's levels of like partying and then there's like installing a wine fridge. Like, this is what I did in my college, like, newspaper office. I mean, the third bit of context to this is like, we are British. Like some of this is 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 inherent. <laughs> I will but, say though, for all of my time living in in London, I was not drinking in offices. New Yorkers they like to crack a beer at the end of the day in an office. British people tend to just to get out of there at like four thirty and drink in a pub. But although I guess if you can't drink in a pub, you turn your office into a pub. So that makes sense. Exactly. Exactly. Now the wine fridge was delivered for what are known as Wine Time Fridays within. What the fuck is that? <laughs> what, are you t- what are they talking about? That's well, not they, a thing. They held- and they had wine time Fridays where the thing would go around and they would go and, and, and get wine. Uh, now I'll come back to the, remember that about the fact of going to get wine for wine time Fridays because this will become important. Okay. 
Okay, right. Uh, on the 14th of December, there was a party at Tory Party headquarters by a guy called Sean Bailey, who was the London mayoral candidate. Uh, that included buffet food. And there's a photo of that one. Uh, day later, December 15th, there was a Christmas quiz, uh, which they did partly on Zoom, partly IRL. Boris Johnson asked some questions to a bunch of people standing in different rooms where they were clearly breaking lockdown restrictions. But it was fine because it was a Christmas quiz. Uh, the next day, there was a party at the Department of Transport, which was apparently low-key. Uh, the day after that, there was a party for the Cabinet Office, um, but it's fine because uh, they said that it was it was uh, it was a Christmas party. It was a virtual quiz, and some people were only there passing through. Uh, the day after that, on December the eighteenth, um, there was another Christmas party. Uh, cheese and wine was there. It was passed around. Secret Santa gifts were exchanged, which means it was planned in advance. The Prime Minister's press secretary, Allegra Stratton, then went on to, they went to a filmed question answer practice session for if the press asked questions about it. She was asked questions about like, do you recognize reports of uh, a, da- a party in Downing Street the other day? And she said, um, I'm trying the exact quote now, but was she said, I left before it happened. Um, what is the answer to that? I'm not really sure. So, like, they knew it happened. Wow. Now I have one more, because this is the killer. 16th of April, 2021. There was a leaving due for someone. Um, the staff of Downing Street went to the supermarket with a suitcase, which they filled with wine, and then returned to Downing Street with a suitcase full of wine and a DJ. He wasn't in the suitcase though, right? No, the DJ wasn't in the suitcase, but one of the, I, I, actually maybe one of the staff, one of the staff stepped in to DJ. Okay. I was going to say to bring in a completely third party DJ, that's a lot, but to get one of your interns to DJ, uh, fair enough. Here's where it gets bad though. Uh, on the 17th of April. So the next day, the queen went to Prince Philip's funeral which she was forced to mourn out alone due to COVID restrictions. So the oh. Queen went to Westminster Abbey, stood there entirely alone without her family to comfort her or anything, while she mourned her husband of 70-plus years. And the previous night, Downing Street had a big fun party where they had a suitcase of booze. Yeah, that doesn't seem ideal, I don't think. Doesn't. Um, yeah, I feel like every day I wake up, and for the first like hour of my day, it's just British people on Twitter going insane over some new, completely nutso thing that your government secretly did during lockdown. Like, I feel like we're one. I think I feel like we're a week away from finding out that like someone sucked off a horse and it died inside of Downing Street, and they had to like chop it up during the rager to hide the body parts. It's like um, it's like one of those eighties. Like, um, comedies like Porky's, where like, it's like, turns out Bojo cut a hole in the women's bathroom in Downing Street <laughs> and it was having like panty raid parties. It's fucking insane. I f- like. On the last one, they did get super drunk and broke a child's swing in the garden. Yeah, of course. They, look, any party that starts with you smuggling wine in via a suitcase is gonna end in some kind of destructive behavior. There's no way that that, that doesn't happen. That's just. That's just human nature. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that's what's happening. That, but it was the thing that 
over the time it's been coming out, and I'm sure I've missed some in that. I just put that list together uh, quickly for the purpose of this. But I'm absolutely confident that there is more stuff that I've missed. Like someone said 19. I got to 15. And I couldn't find any more. But I'm sure there's other stuff that I've missed. Because there was ex- there seems to be a, have been an extended period where everyone was doing this all the time. And people in the UK who have... Like, broadly, people in the UK have been very, I don't want to say pro-lockdown, because that's not quite right, but they have been very willing to accept lockdown. Like, they have, have done their bit. They have committed to it. And it turns out that the government was never doing this the whole time. And Tory MPs have been standing up and saying things like, well, I think when you get down to it, no one actually followed the rules. And everyone's like, yeah, no, no, we did. We did all follow the rules. And eh, people are not happy. I see. Well... Yeah, I wouldn't be happy either. In fact, I'm weirdly angry for you. Every time I read a new detail about this, I'm like, I'm, I'd be like, if I was British, I would be furious, I think. Yeah, but we can't get rid of a prime minister unless a bunch of Tory MPs secretly give a letter to a man named, I think, Bernard at the moment. Uh, and then if he gets enough letters, the prime minister goes down. Oh, so it's not always a man named Bernard. Uh, no, well, I mean, it's different men called Bernard. I actually, I actually don't know. Wait, who really? Is it always a man named Bernard? <laughs> no. no, it's just no. Uh, Does I'm he have any kind of medieval weapon that he has to hold, like an axe or a mace or a sword or anything? I'm very sorry. He is. It actually is a man named Graham. Graham. Bernard was the last one. Now it's a man or man called Graham. And does he have like a cape or a hat or anything? Anything interesting? Does he wear no, anything? No, he's just the man you give all the letters to and then the prime minister stops being prime minister. Oh, we have one more thing. We're waiting for a nice lady called Sue to tell us what actually happened. Sue? Is she a newscaster of some kind? No, no. Her name's Sue Gray and she has been charged with finding out what happened. And we went for the Sue Gray report. And then when oh. Sue when Sue gets back to us and tells us whether or not the prime minister was at a party, which he says was a work event, whether or not he knew it was a party while he was at it. So she she's like the Robert Mueller of COVID lockdown parties. Yeah, but it's just like a nice lady called Sue. Oh. Let's talk about West Ham with Caleb now. All right. You're going to have to spin this one to me because I, I know I I know I've been focusing on the parties too much. Really? Okay. Well, I'll do a quick I'll do a quick rundown of the details as they currently uh exist. So, the whole thing kind of blew up when a influencer named Kate Glavin or Kate Glavin, I I I meant to look that up, but I'm not going to look that up. <laughs> she became a meme after this anyways. So anyways, so Kate Glavin, she posts about uh, a date she was going to have with a guy named Caleb. He works at West Elm. Turns out that Caleb, hours before she went on a date with Kate Glavin, had slept with another TikTok user. TikTok users all slowly realized that he had been sleeping with lots of different TikTok users in New York City. They started putting together like a, a small docs on him. Kate Glavin has said throughout all of this that she did not mean for him to get doxxed or harassed, which is true. She didn't really put out that many details, but obviously they've come out since. And then because of the way TikTok works, more and more women 
have come out in various cities around America and sort of said, like, this is the West Elm Caleb of where I live. And it's sort of become it's sort of become like a very decentralized harassment campaign against basically just like all kinds of shitty dudes on Tinder. And I think there's a lot of different forces here at play that are all interesting and we'll get to them. Tinder is is a very interesting dimension of this. Um, But to to sort of cap off the end of the West Elm Caleb saga, after this started happening and everyone went, you know, it all went viral. The people who made it go viral then started receiving their own death threats and their own harassment from users who were like mad at them for making them go and, you know, send death threats to this Caleb guy, which I think is a very interesting dimension. Yeah, it seems like everyone's mad at everyone else, and that's good, I think. Or bad. I've been using a term called the witch hunt machine. Uh, I'm doing a YouTube yeah. video about this actually shortly, so keep an eye <laughs> yeah. out for that. Um, and and I, I think that's like one way to think about it. But what is interesting, and, and I had a lot of people on Twitter, you know, message me and be like, why is this more true for TikTok than it is true for something like Twitter? And obviously Twitter has the main character effect. We're all kind of familiar with this idea that like there is a main character of Twitter every day and the goal is to never be it. You know, that's what sure. the tweet says. But I think on TikTok, the the only thing that really explains the like compounding waves of anger is that. TikTok more than Twitter, I think, really, 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 really makes people want to go attack each other to the point where the very people who started this whole trend are now being attacked themselves. And it, and, and there's no like there's no friction, I think. I think that's what's going on. But but I'm curious to hear your take on this whole situation. So I, I, I absolutely agree there's no friction. But I think that friction doesn't exist because TikTok is the first platform to effectively extinguish the filter bubble. In that it does not just show you things that you follow or that people that you follow follow. Like it is not linked. Like stuff can we we we've talked about the idea that everyone lives in their little internet holes, and then eventually your 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 the thing that all your hole is talking about it like gathers up and then it spills over into other holes. On TikTok, like the boundaries of those are super low, so it's very easy to get into everyone else's holes. I'm gonna to have to come. You're with, saying hole a lot here, buddy. I, I, I'm gonna to have to come up with a better metaphor than holes, but like that is how I think of it. Orifice, uh, pits, pits. Everyone's in a pit. Okay, you're oh, in your bus- pit. What about uh, your personal bussy? No. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think that means, man? Yeah, it's your butthole, right? Right. Yeah. But no, everyone's so, in their own butthole. Everyone's got their own butthole full of garbage on TikTok. No, everyone's got their own pit. They're in a pit. Okay, they're in their pit, sure. They're in their pit, and like you have your filter bubble. And on tic- on Twitter, for example, it's relatively high. On Facebook, it's even higher because you only interact with things that you already follow or things that people you follow have shared to you. Uh, but TikTok is super low because TikTok is designed to just engage everyone all the time, always. And as a result, it kind of spills out from one pit very, very quickly. So it hits your pit, it hits another hit, and then it just flows out. And uh, it, it, as a result, there kind of isn't a filter bubble on TikTok. And like... Having spent, I don't know, 15 years talking about the danger of filter bubbles, it does that the lack of a filter bubble is actually worse because it just so, bounces to everyone immediately and then suddenly the entire internet hates one guy called Caleb. See, that's interesting. I'm not sure if I agree with you, actually. Or if I agree okay. with you, maybe I'm coming at it in a different way. So f- from what we understand of how TikTok works, because we're still learning, there are a bunch of different ways that TikToks are recommended to you. Uh, it seems like the filters that are used on TikToks, the different kind of editing tools, that seems to be a metadata tree. The audio seems to be a metadata tree. Yep. The 
followers of followers of followers. That seems to be some kind of metadata tree there. And then obviously like the very simple genres of content that you're consuming seem to be a metadata tree. So I was using TikTok. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's a meta metadata tree there though, because one of the things that TikTok also definitely does is it tries to break up what you're seeing. Like it tries to not yes. show you the same thing six times in a row. And I that think that's really important. I, when I was using the app in earnest a couple of years ago now, because I've stopped, I've stopped consuming TikToks inside of TikTok because it's constantly trying to like game the way that I'm using it. And I don't want that. But I, I got sent a TikTok of a dog and it was a very cute dog video. And then I went to my For You page and all of a sudden it was all dog videos, but it wasn't just dog videos. It was videos of that specific breed of dog, which was Golden Retriever. Obviously, Golden Retriever is like a pretty easy genre of dog, I guess, to like program. Species. Species. Of, no, not species. Dog. Breed, is, no, it's not a species. A breed. It's a breed. Breed. It's the breed of dog. Is dog breed. Dog genre. So that <laughs> that immediately was, was apparent to me. that Like TikTok is like if YouTube operated like netflix yeah so like there is no filter bubble in the sense that your main experience of tiktok is a public one it's one where you're bombarded with content that you did not particularly ask to see although you can follow people of course and that seems to be another metadata tree as well sure but the fact that it is constantly trying to deliver you personalized content while facing publicly that to me seems to be the really dangerous thing where it's it, it's basically like saying like What's a good example? It would be like if you went to the supermarket and the supermarket, every aisle was trying to show you the perfect aisle for you based on an extremely limited data set, based on the content of what other people in the store were also doing. Think about like how confusing and bewildering that would be. Right. So sometimes you're there to make a sandwich and it's showing you bread and ham and mustard because like that's a good sandwich good but then sandwich. the next time then the next time you're like oh i'm looking for a sandwich and it's like okay someone who bought bread was also doing their uh, uh weekly shop and they bought shampoo uh right. and then they also went and bought a tire iron because their tire was flat or whatever it is and so then you're just like hey you you liked bread here's a tire iron and you're like right sure <laughs> to take this metaphor further Imagine if the experience of being in this store was so engrossing that when you're in it, you can't possibly think of doing the simplest thing here, which is walking out and going to a normal store, which is what I think causes the rage in these sort of incidents and also the conspiratorial thinking because the TikTok users are so engaged in using TikTok that they can't seem to break themselves out of the like weird trance of using it long enough to say like, wait a minute, like, I don't give a shit about any of this. I could literally just go type in something I want to look at properly on YouTube and watch that or go on Twitter and follow normal people or whatever, or, or just not use the internet for a little bit. Instead, there's like this like effect where you think that everything that matters at that exact moment can be found by consuming and making more TikTok content. That's my theory. Okay. I think these two theories fit together really nicely because one half, my half is about how stuff spreads so quickly across the platform. And your half is about why people then don't leave and it then accelerates their own personal animus about a, a particular uh, thing. Yeah, I, I also think it contributes to like a, a, a kind of culture that we've talked about before with Gen Z where Gen Z is like very anti-viral. They think like they think that like 
you know, listicles and Harry Potter quizzes and all that shit is for like brain dead millennials, which is kind of true. Yeah. Uh, although now most of it's being run by like Hungarian content farms or whatever. But <laughs> sure. like, so Gen Z, they think that they're not, they're not consuming like viral content when in fact they are, but it's not the individual units of content that are viral. It's the trend that's viral. So like Gen Z kids, they think that they're, you know, consuming personal and intimate content, which I think ramps up their emotions even more in the same sure. way that like when I, you know, when I was six and, and, and I, I come back to this a lot, but like when I was 16 years old, I heard, uh, okay. <laughs> okay. So when I was 16 years old, I saw a music video for uh, the song Pulmonary Archery by the band Alexis on Fire. Okay. Sure. Let's go. It was a good song. Great song. And I experienced that song and it was like a skinny, frail little guy ro rolling around and screaming. And I was like, with like floppy black hair. And I was like, well, that's, this is the most important thing to me in my entire life. And I fell down like a whole rabbit hole of screamo and emo and the rest of it and, you know, ruined my entire life and gave myself a personality disorder. Yeah. I did not at the time realize that that was part of a larger trend that was spreading across the planet via MySpace. And yet it like hit me so intimately that like I'm still listening to Alexis on fire to this day because they're a great band. So like imagine if all content moved as like fast and is like and is like quietly and covertly and as intimately as emo bands did to teenagers like 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, but even then, like I think it's it is speed it is speed and depth and both of the things are worse with tiktok than they have been before um so did you uh i'm not gonna quote the person it was but there was a very good tiktok video about uh the artist gail and her song abcdefu you would you would know that i'm familiar with this because it was in a newsletter called garbage day and yes i oh, you're, ta I you're talking about this. you're talking about the uh the theory that gail is an industry plant yeah Okay, so talk us through it. For people who aren't initiated, okay. who don't read Garbage Day somehow, talk us through it. Like me, yes. <laughs> so basically, the the theory is is that she came up with this song, which I personally I think is a banger. It's a great um, song. But Love that song. Yeah, I want to be clear. Is. Any discussion of Gail being an industry plant is not saying that she is in any way bad at music or making music. But this is an interesting story here. So go for it. I'm, I'm also fascinated by her video, which is just like... 2004 era digital <laughs> camera footage yeah which, and it's like the idea that someone's doing this is a retro thing is like incredibly alienating yeah um, it's fucked up yeah i hate it <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah anyway um the basically the seed of this song was allegedly when she a comment came to her she's like hey i'm a singer songwriter i do like cool pop punk stuff and someone said hey can you write a uh a breakup song only using letters of the alphabet. And she was like, A, B, C, D, F, U, ha, isn't that funny? And then she Perfect. wrote the song and then it became a smash. And that's right. amazing. Except that someone then went back and was like, hey, I'm pretty sure the person who asked this is like a marketing manager at Universal Records. Uh, Atlantic. It, it, was a, it was a marketing Atlantic manager at Atlantic. And if you dig even further, it seems like Gail is in some way related or has known for a very long time one president of one record label who is friends with the president <laughs> of another record label. And then also, if you go through the timeline of Gail's own statements about the writing of the song, it seems like what had happened was she had had the song kicking around forever, which is, you know, fine. Totally. It's a great song. 
And then the marketing manager was like, you know, it'd be a great way to advertise it is if I asked you via a comment and then you acted like it was just off the top of your head, which is a great marketing tool, but also yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of fucked up, but like, it's very clever. But, but also what you just did there, where you went into this, also she did, also she, also she did this is extremely TikTok. Yes, it is. Like everything's a conspiracy because it feels like everything's a conspiracy because everything feels innately incredibly unnatural. And therefore, yeah. you're kind of constantly looking for like, who is doing this? Who is who is pulling the levers here? Who is crossing the wires? But actually, it's it's entirely possible. It's just a little bit like this is an Gale stuff is an example of of where there specifically is a person behind it. I think more generally, there potentially isn't in a lot of these cases. Yeah, I mean, so I don't know if like you know this story, but like maybe people listening do to take it back because I do think comparing TikTok to MySpace is like very useful for wrapping our heads around what it's doing. Yeah. Before Fallout Boy was a band, Pete Wentz was in a metalcore band, a vegan metalcore band. I believe their name was Arma Angelus. They were pretty good. They were decent. And the whole idea was that like the core Fallout Boy members had been kicking around the Chicago hardcore scene forever. And the story that I had always heard was that the first Fallout Boy album, which I think was like a series of demos called Fallout Boy: A Night Out with Your Girlfriend, but I, I'd have to check. I'm, I'm going off the top of my head here because I'm on a roll. They decided, like, wouldn't it be funny to make the most pop punk songs they could as, like, a joke, kind of. Right. And that the early Fall Out Boy, like, release, the early Fall Out Boy releases were kind of like a meta joke. And, it, and, and there was a lot of this kind of behavior happening on MySpace because I think for the first time ever, a lot of bands in particular could use it as a testing ground. They could like drop stuff and see like how people would react. And I think we're seeing like a new wave of this on TikTok that's far more sophisticated than anything 15 years ago. We're like and far quicker. Far quicker. So like Gail having kind of like a goofy breakup song and then like spending like basically 3 years workshopping it and then acting like she came up with it on the floor of her bathroom is not that far away from Pete Wentz being like what if I stopped screaming about being a vegan and instead just like wrote the catchiest, dumbest pop punk songs ever and just put it out on MySpace and didn't tell anybody? I mean, if we want to go into that, we should talk about things like Radiohead's Creep, which was written as a parody of songs that they could play when no one was paying attention to them in a bar. Or we could talk about the Sex Pistols, who were a manufactured band. Like, Malcolm McLaren found them all in different places and put them together, even though they couldn't play their instruments. And it's like, fine, you're a punk band now. We'll brand you correctly. Like, this is all of music. All of music is just jamming people together and being like, yeah, fine. Sorry, who's Radiohead? What, what is that? Radiohead. And I don't know. I don't. Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, so to take it back to West Elm Caleb and the sort of phenomenon that that represents, what I do think is also interesting and probably worth addressing with this is that, like, TikTok, once again, kind of like MySpace, is extremely localized. And, and I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this because I think it's really interesting where a TikTok meme doesn't just sort of focus on a trend or a behavior. And it doesn't always just focus on a person. It can also, like basically operate like a like a hurricane over like a tropical island and just like decimate everything in a in a specific location and that seems to be kind of one of the things that's made the west elm caleb thing so viral this time yeah for sure i i think i mean i think there's two parts to that one is that tiktok has a bunch of metadata that we're not 
totally clear on. Like the uh, what's that sorority rush you always talk about as being the first one of these? Oh yeah, I'm fascinated by this. Um, it, they're called um, no, it was the Alabama sorority girls of TikTok. That was basically yeah, it, yeah. who suddenly became on everyone's thing everywhere because for whatever reason the algorithm was set up in such a way that they just they they hacked it and no one really knows how, including them and entirely possibly including TikTok. Um, but I think that what you end up with is this is this situation where everyone is operating, as you say, in a kind of oh sorry, I'm trying to think of the a good way to put this. Um TikTok works very effectively as a way where, you know, everyone's in the holes, but it bubbles out into everyone else's pits and then everyone gets swept up into it in the same way what that means is it feels like a hurricane even though it's i think not a hurricane i think it's a stampede the best way to to think about this is i think is you know someone's yelled fire fire sometimes is a fire so fire sometimes is someone an influencer attempting to get attention for being a fire i don't know but but the i I think i I would see it more as a stampede and that some people are going to stand aside some people are going to miss it entirely because they're on their phones and just like standing in a corner or whatever but a bunch of people are going to get swept up in it a bunch of people are going to get hurt and a bunch of people are going to take part in it and be like well that was crazy and then not never really thinking about it again but someone somewhere is going to get hurt uh, yeah okay tiktok's a stampede or it's a, it's a will it's herd of wildebeest that can be stampeded at any moment well i'm going to take a shorter version of that and probably make it the title for this week's episode but yeah i cool. agree with you I, I i think to to be to be even more incoherent it's like you're in a supermarket full of infinitely generating personalized aisles and then and and some tire irons and then a whole bunch of people get told that they need to buy tire irons immediately which causes a stampede because people think that they're not gonna be able to buy a tire iron because there's too much like you know want for tire irons and so imagine a tire iron stamp a tire iron stampede in an infinitely generating supermarket um that's yeah that's it i think we we solved what what tiktok is but yeah i agree with you and i i agree with you on the dangerousness uh, you know we we've sort of been lighthearted this episode but i think for them like the latest on the west on caleb thing i haven't seen him be fully doxxed like I, I it hasn't reached the thing where like west elm caleb is making a statement on the today show but you know it could you know the, the, i yeah it, and from what I've read, like he seems like a pretty shitty dude, but I'm I'm sort of more angry that I'm even aware of him, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, and a bunch of people, a, bu- a bunch of people have put this better than we would be able to. But there is also something about it where there is there is a proportionality issue where it's like here's just a shitty dude, and there are many shitty dudes, and many of them deserve to be obliquely and directly uh, karmically punished. But the idea that it's like, oh no, what we're going to do is we're going to focus all the energy on this one dude and he's just gonna have his like ruined right is 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 terrifying and and worse than that like you then end up with these situations and I, i'm being kind of carefully because like i don't want to say like oh no the dude should be shitty because like that's clearly wrong but there is a there is a very definite line between actually no the problem is there isn't a definite line there's a long way between perfect guys on the one end and shitty guys on the other end and genuine like fucking criminals on the far end like there's a huge gap here and there's it's a very clear spectrum or or rather it's it's very clearly a spectrum so the idea that it's like oh you've passed this line now you're a shitty person we can do this to you it's like well sure like okay but are you shitty if you do that to one person or to three people or to eight people like 
how many people do you have to do it to? How bad do you have to be? If you're like mostly okay to most people and then you're really shitty to one person, is that enough? At what point do you get your life ruined? At what point does everything fall apart for you? And it's clear that like it's not judicious, it's not fair, it's not anything. And I don't want to kind of it come across like, oh well, that's fine then. Like people should be shitty, but like also, if a bunch of like eighteen, twenty, twenty-one year olds, twenty-two year olds are dating each other in the city. They are going to be shitty to each other because that's what it is. Like, it's uh, supposed yeah. to be that. Right. And I, I think it's actually an excellent segue to kind of the last key piece to this, which is the tenderfication of each other, of people. So uh, a couple of years ago when I moved back to New York City after being gone for about four years, I was single. I was in New York City. And I opened up Tinder, as you do, obviously, at 9 in the morning on the toilet. Because that's when you, that's the ideal way to use Tinder. Sure. And I hadn't used Tinder in probably, you know, I, I think it, it had been three or four years since I'd ever used it. I don't think I ever used it in the UK. And I was kind of blown away by, like, the contentification of people. Like... Like there was, there was like at a certain point, there was like almost like a spam like quality to a lot of the users who seemed to be like optimizing for Tinder, which I found like, you know, as a tech reporter, I found that very interesting, and almost <laughs> yeah. like had to stop myself a few times from like being like, like messaging someone being like, hey, you look, you are acting and and expressing yourself in a really fucking weird way on Tinder. Can I ask you why you're doing that? And like, is this working? <laughs> uh, but I didn't do it, and and I I sort of wonder if over the course of the pandemic. Like a large chunk of people in their early 20s who I think rightly feel like they haven't kind of stopped being teenagers. Because like if you were 19 in March 2020, you would be what, 21 now, 22 now? Yeah. I I can't do that math. How old would you be? 21. When I I was out the other night with uh, my friend whose birthday also was, her younger cousin was there as well. Her younger cousin was 19, uh, and it was her first ever night out. Right. So, okay, so imagine imagine if between the ages of, let's say, 19 and 21, your only real experience of dating is via Tinder. And then imagine if you have even a little bit of a presence on TikTok. Imagine how toxic that combination would be and how fucked up your brain would be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's also acceleration of, of um, Reddit's... Um, uh, it's I, I the asshole is probably the worst one, but there's a relationship one as well, which I can't remember the name of, where it's basically... Oh, hold on, hold on. I'm a connoisseur. So there's am I the asshole, there's our relationships, our relationship advice, but then there's a new one that I've discovered that I love called R am I the devil, which collects the worst oh. people from the relationship subreddits and shares them over to one central feed. So if you're looking but, for a good afternoon, I'd recommend that. But... Our relationships is a really good example of this where everyone who comes on there is told immediately by like a thousand people uh that they need to leave their partner because uh they 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 left uh, some uh, plates in the sink. There's an extremity to kind of encouraging this behavior which red I also flag. think is Yeah, red flag, red red flag there was a there was a plate in the sink. Uh or whatever it is, like there's a very aggressive behavior to this where it's because it's easy to talk to people online and say like hey i'm gonna be extremely strict about this rather than be like i don't know man maybe you should talk to them about it which essentially 98 percent of everything on our relationship is like seems like you should probably have a conversation with about this like just just take the thing you've written and say it to them and then you'd probably be in a better place 
So the new one is uh, users kept getting yelled at by other users for saying that, like, the person was an abuser or a predator or whatever or using the right. red flag emoji. So the new one you see a lot is, like, I don't know, it just seems like a, a compatibility issue. I don't know how you guys can, can, can fix this. Seems like you're incompatible. Which yeah, is like, yeah, of course it seems like an incompatible. Of course it seems like a compatibility issue when you're only given the details <laughs> around one conflict and no other like context. Yeah, yeah, it sounds it sounds like a completely unsolvable problem because you only have the context of that one thing. Yeah, I like dogs. Uh, they like cats. Uh, well, that seems like a compatibility issue. It's like gotta break it's up. Not. Gotta break up. You know, so like, and I agree with you. We did it. We actually did a whole episode about the relationship subreddits. So uh, the old we content did. mind heads would know this. And you can go back and check it out. And at the time, I think I remember saying like, social platforms like Reddit, like TikTok, all these places, they sort of crave finality. They crave resolution because like, yeah, we read the internet in the same way that we read a book or the newspaper or or whatever. And so, and human beings, I think, crave stories with beginning, middles, and ends. So, with a relationship thing. Users oftentimes, I think, just like say, like, okay, what we need, we need an ending here for this story, so I can move on with my life. So the ending has to be like, well, he's probably secretly abusing you, or like maybe you need to break up, or whatever it is. Yeah, the the ending is never like, yeah, we had a conversation. Seems like we're we're in a better place. Yeah, no, it's that that's that's kind of what's happening here. And then I think it's even height more heightened on TikTok because TikTok is a visual medium. It's a visual storytelling platform. Videos have to have. You know, edge, uh, videos have to have like entertaining content, but then also yeah. like you're you're rewarded for how you participate. So you're you're participating in a heightened way that's like making things worse and causing more drama and causing more conflict. So it's kind of just like a never ending like rat's nest of bad incentives on the internet that produced eh, basically just like a a stampede, a stampede of very angry people. I think the internet may have been a bad idea. I don't think so. And I, I, I feel like this is probably a good opportunity to be like, I am, I am, for the most part, someone who prefers living in a world with the internet than I don't. And in fact, I will say, speaking of consuming an, an early music video from Alexis on Fire and then having to read all about the, the genre emo violence on Wikipedia, I really, I really prefer my life online now versus it, the way it was 15 years ago. I think it's much more interesting. That's interesting. I mean, maybe. I I think that 15 years ago, it was slightly easier to find isolated communities. Like, if you were super into, I don't know, doing puzzles or something, you could find, I feel like you could find a puzzle community that was easier and less toxic than, I assume, all the puzzles. I don't know about puzzle communities. I've never been in a puzzle community. I assume they're all toxic because there are community of things online. Wordle seems pretty nice. Wordle's not nice. Wordle's gone horribly wrong. Everyone's mad. I play it every day. I have a great time. And I've been playing it in Portuguese as well. Oh, I didn't even know there was a Portuguese one. There's one for every language now. You should check out the Japanese Wordle. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> Cause like, but what's also interesting is that in countries that, you know, have languages that aren't, you know, Germanic, uh, the five letter rule makes things very tricky. But in Portuguese, it also <laughs> makes it pretty tricky. Um, hey, Luke, have you consumed any content to stay sane? Have you consumed any content to stay sane this week?
Yeah, uh, I've been watching the new series of uh, Too Hard to Handle, and I want to talk about how broken the format is, because I'm obsessed with how broken it is. Okay. Uh, how about you? What? Have you been consuming any content to stay sane? Yes. I watched all of Station Eleven in a weekend and sobbed <laughs> uncontrollably for hours. Okay. And I want to talk about that. I haven't watched it, but I've read the book, so I'm fascinated by this. Then we're going to have a very interesting conversation, actually. Okay. And you can check that out at patreon.com slash thecontentminds. Thank you guys for listening to the show. Thank you guys for supporting us on Patreon. Thank you guys for rolling with the new format. Uh, and thank you guys for being fantastic. As the dust sort of settles on Omicron and we get a clear idea of what the live event universe looks like, we should definitely start talking about maybe doing another Bad Posters Club or something. That's that's sort of, sort of on our horizon. Sure. Um, but in the meantime... We had a lot of fun digging through the Primitive Living YouTube channels last week. If you have a corner of the internet that you want to see us dig into, please suggest it. Please let us know. For sure. And uh, in the meantime, leave a comment on one of the podcast platforms of your choice. Leave a review in, in the style of, this podcast was a really bad Tinder date. <laughs> yeah, let's go on. Talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye. I turned 33. Wait, it was your birthday? Yeah, uh, Monday. Oh, man. I didn't know that. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. I'll be honest. I I never tell you happy birthday, so that that's fine. That's normal. It's true, and you're one of those people like that doesn't tell anyone about their birthday. I just don't care about my birthday. It it is. It feels very meaningless. Oh wow. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Okay. I guess that's the bit. Mm -hmm.